If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 would be reading the entire scripture, this entire chapter. Ephesians 1, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good, his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things in the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Help us, Heavenly Father. We cannot do for ourselves. Teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then we will ever keep them. Give us understanding and we will keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Direct us in the path of your commands, for in them we find delight. Turn our hearts towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Preserve our way of life in righteousness. Open our ears to hear your word this morning. Open our hearts to learn how we may serve you with our lives. We thank you for your word, and we ask your help in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have looked at this doctrine of election from the view of our sovereign God and from the view of our Lord and Savior. 
we have seen that God the Father is the author of your election in that he has chosen and called you from your rebellion and made you a part of his family. Jesus Christ, God the Son, is the agent of your election in that he came down from heaven to live the perfect life you could not live, to die the atoning death required for your reconciliation, and he won the victory over your enemies you could never win. We have seen that to properly understand this doctrine, you have to understand the condition of the fall of man. Man was created in perfect righteousness, knowledge, and holiness. He was placed in a perfect paradise. He was given the responsibility of tending God's beautiful creation to multiply, to fill the, it with people, and to worship God as the, as the one and only creator. God did not create man to just automatically do what he was instructed to do. He gave to man a mind and spirit with which he could make choices. He also gave to man everything he needed to easily make the right choice. As you know, man failed in his responsibility to follow God's way and chose his own way. He rebelled against God. The penalty for this rebellion was death. And immediately upon his sin, he died spiritually. He was cut off from God. He lost his communion with God and his desire and ability to fellowship with God. This placed man in a position of total worthlessness and helplessness before God. He could not understand how he needed God, for he now thought he was God's equal. He was ever busy remaking God in his own image. Jeremiah 2.5 speaks to this in the NIV. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Whenever man thinks he's equal to God, he belittles God and elevates himself. He becomes an idolater because he made something equal to God. He becomes a worshiper of himself. He becomes a worthless and empty idol fit for nothing but destruction. Our God is a jealous God, and he will not allow anything to, to receive glory that rightly belongs to him. All who lift up anything beside God become idolaters and thus plunge themselves into the life of a totally empty emptiness and worthlessness. But, as we have seen, not all is hopeless. God the Father, from eternity past, chose a people out of this empty and worthless mass of humanity. He pledged to restore to them a worth that would allow them to come boldly into his presence. He sent his son into the world. He sent him to do for the chosen what they could never do for themselves. Christ came and filled all the law required to reconcile a people to God. All who were, will hear his message, all who will believe in his work, all who would acknowledge their sin, their worthless and helpless situation, and with a broken and contrite heart place their complete trust in Christ will be saved. What a glorious message. Salvation is possible. Reconciliation is provided for, and hope is alive. The message does not end there. It continues with even more glorious promises. Paul now tells us about another aspect of this message. 
God has chosen these people to be his own possession. This is the last sermon on the doctrine of election. We learn here that election is the ground for believers as God's own possession. As we look at these verses, we shall first see that this was all accomplished by God's decree. Second, we will learn that this was all for the purpose of his glory. Third, we shall examine his promised seal. And fourth, we will see that it is all eternal. The interest and concern of both God the Father and God the Son is clearly shown to be the church, the people called forth in this world. That is made clear by the decree of God to save the people unto himself and Christ's voluntary work to accomplish their salvation. Look at verse 11. In him, Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him, God the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul already made clear. The blessings come through both the desire of the Father and the work of the Son. You have been chosen in him. You have many blessings like vital union with Christ, redemption, forgiveness of sins, spiritual illumination, and many other favors. He makes sure you understand there, is all, there are also other blessings yet to come, namely future blessings, future glory. You are to be made heirs. Heirs are those who, apart from their merit of their own, any merit of their own, are given the right to the blessings and fruits of the works of others. You are made heirs with Christ to the blessings of the Father. Jesus came down from heaven to accomplish their work, to make an inheritance possible for his people. You, by God's decree, are made heirs to the blessings that come through Christ's work. You shall, as we examine verses 13 and 14, see that these blessings come to two parts, in two parts, the here and now and the hereafter. Some might question at this point, does this blessing of salvation, present as well as future, really belong to us? Paul answers, being predestined according to the purpose of him, God the Father, who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. Without a doubt. Without a doubt it states, your salvation is not determined by fate or human will. In verse 4, you were called to be holy and without blame. In verse 5, you were told you were predestined to be God's sons. In verse 6, you were called to the praise of the glory of his grace. The whole of these first 14 verses makes it very clear. You are destined to glorify God forever. This is part of God's great universal plan. God laid out this great plan, which includes all the things. Those, that those things that take place in heaven, on earth, and in hell, past, present, and future, pertaining to both believers and unbelievers, to angels and demons, in the physical as well as spiritual, both large and small, rich and poor, great and insignificant. He wholly carries it all out. Some will object to this because they want to lift man's free will up. They want, to man, want man to be the one in control of their eternal destiny. Yes, the scripture does talk about man's free will. Man was, has great responsibility. Freedom always brings responsibility. God created man in perfect freedom. 
He was free to do exactly what he was created to do. Worship, multiply, and work. As long as man did these things, he was perfectly free. When in the garden, he stopped doing these things to do what he craved to do. He lost his freedom and became a slave to sin. Under sin, man has absolutely no freedom. He is driven to do everything he does according to the desire of his sin. Because his heart is now a slave to sin, he can't do anything by his free will. The plan of God was to free man from this bondage and once again allow him to live a true, in true liberty and exercise his free will and follow God's law. Does this mean there's no responsibility in man? No, we have much responsibility. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's hard. It's hard to understand how God can have everything planned and you still have responsibility. But Paul links the two together. You are to work through the process of salvation with fear and trembling, even though it is God who is working in you to accomplish your salvation. You must keep clear in your mind. God's not like the pagan deities who are changed at the whims of those who created them. Your God, who is love, has foreordained that his people will be adopted as sons and he will never forsake them. Once he has begun a good work, he will not leave you until that work is complete. He will see that his plan is carried out to the last minute detail. There is nothing nor anyone who can frustrate his design. Hell cannot, Satan cannot, death cannot, sin cannot, and you cannot. You cannot change the decree of his predestinating love. What you should learn from this is if God's decree for e from eternity is all-embracing, and the scripture says it is, if it is fully carried out in history and we have shown it being carried out and will be brought to its completion in Christ's return, if the eternal destiny of all men is included in his plan and the scriptures clearly show it is, then there can be no reason for boasting and being one of God's chosen. Did not Ephesians 1.4 say he chose us in him before the foundation of the world? Did Jesus not tell us in John 15.6, you did not choose me, but I chose you? God is sovereign. He is in control of everything he made, which is everything. He made the earth, the heavens, and everything in them. There is nothing outside of the control of God. If you find one thing, one small thing that God is not controlling, then you have just proved there is no God. God made everything. He controls it all, as Hebrews 1.3 says, by the word of his power. That includes all of mankind. That means you. Nothing happens in the nations of men that God has not foreordained. Nothing happens in the life of any man that God has not predetermined. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart 
plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. This applies to leaders as well as just ordinary men. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Whatever you are, whatever you have, whatever you do comes from God. Therefore, Paul says that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. What is God's purpose in all of this pre-planning? It was all done to the praise of his glory. You were chosen prior to creation that you might be a vessel of honor to be used to bring glory to your Lord. This is all a part of God's great revelation of his character. The whole idea behind his creation was to show his perfect character in all of its differing aspects. To show his wrath and justice requires rebellion. To show his grace and mercy requires sin. To show his love and joy requires redemption. God pre-planned everything required to display fully his character. Nothing has been left out. We know from creation there is a God. But only, only through his written word can we learn of his grace and mercy, love, redemption, wrath, and justice. This was a part of his great plan, that sinful men, children of wrath, would learn of him through the message brought by his son. What is this message? It is as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved. He loved the works of his hands with more love than we can even begin to fathom. He loved so much that he sent his most beloved son to do for men what they could never do for themselves. This is the message of Christ. He came down from the Father in heaven to live the perfect life you could never live. He gave that perfect life on Calvary's cross as an atonement for your sins. He won the resurrection victory, rising from death and the grave to free you from sin and open heaven's gate. For you to come in and spend an eternity with he and the Father. This is the gospel message. The greatest message of hope any man could ever hear. If you have never heard or understood this message, then I want you to lay out, I want to lay it out clearly for you this morning. I want to make sure if you go away from here, you understand. Man sinned. He sinned in Adam and became, because of that sin, he died spiritually. He died in spirit and hopelessness. God sent Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to come down and do for sinful men what they could never do for themselves. If you will hear this, if you will believe it comes from God, if you will confess your sin, if you will acknowledge Christ as your Savior, you will be forgiven, you will be cleansed of your unrighteousness, and you will be adopted into God's family. God will give you his Holy Spirit and begin molding you into the image of his Son. There's no greater message. There's no greater message for man to hear and understand. Jesus says he will give you a new and easy yoke, a lighter burden to bear. The new and easy yoke comes through his perfect life and the lighter burden of his atoning death. 
You are saved by grace, which means you do not have to work to earn your salvation because it's a gift. It's a free gift that opens heaven's gate so you can come into an eternal fellowship with the triune God. Paul speaks of those who would first hope in Christ. He means the apostles. Now those who first received and believed the revelation of the Son. He is not placing them on a pedestal. He's not making them more blessed than those who were to follow. He is simply saying they were the first to place their complete trust in Jesus Christ. Their whole lives became centered in him and in him alone, just as your life must be in the promise is hope will never be crushed. Isaiah 51, 11 speaks to this. So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with strength singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. He's explaining here, the life of every man is filled with troubles and sorrow. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 22 through 23. For what is man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. Here's the condition. Here's the condition of one who refuses to hear the gospel. The one who tries to work out his own salvation. I pray you see that you cannot save yourself because you have nothing of worth in your life as an unbeliever. The whole only hope anyone can have in this world is Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? That's the only hope. There is no other hope. If you want to leave this world and have a place of rest and peace for eternity, you might have come through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Come to Christ. Come to Christ, place your hope and trust in him and in him alone, and you can have great hope. And you can come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on your head, and you shall obtain joy and gladness. This is what Paul says the first disciples found. So now, your life should be to the praise of his glory. We saw in verses 3 and three through 6 the main focus of the Father and his part in your redemption. In verses 7 through 10, we saw the emphasis shift to the Son. Remember verse 11? In him, Christ also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him, God the Father, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We see in this verse two parts of the triumph Godhead, how they both contribute to your election. We now see another contributor to our election. The contributor will bring the process of our election to a very glorious conclusion. Here, we come to an explanation of the Holy Spirit in the process of election. Verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Paul restates, you as a believer were included in Christ. This is not just a gospel for the apostles, but for all who receive as truth the gospel message. This also establishes that gospel message is a message of the ear, not the eye. 
Why did I say that? Because it's so important. When were you included? You were included when you heard. If there's any group of people out there that should have been the most faithful group ever, it was those people that came out of Egypt and saw all of the great miracles that Christ did. But what do we find them doing right after they have come out and seen the destruction of Pharaoh's army? They're building an idol for themselves. They wanted something they could see. Christianity is about what you hear. What was heard? The word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Remember what Romans 10, 17 tells us. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes only by hearing the word of God. The ordinary means of salvation says no one descended from Adam can be saved without hearing the gospel in some form. It's not through dramatic performances that we're going to hear the gospel. That's not what God told us to do. What did he tell us to do with the gospel? Preach it. Preach the truth. Tell people what it says. The ordinary means of salvation says no one descended from Adam can be saved without hearing the gospel in some form. Again, you see the important place on you in carrying the gospel throughout the world and making sure everyone hears it. Adam and Eve heard the gospel in Genesis 3.15. God speaks to the serpent about his punishment for tempting Eve. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God told them. He told them he would send a savior through the seed of the woman. By believing in that one small part of this great plan, they could be saved. It's not necessary that you understand the totality of the plan, but you believe what you know. This doesn't mean everyone who hears will be saved. You must hear and believe. Some will hear and refuse the truth. Paul points this out in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 14 through 16. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. Those who are dying have hearts that are hardened and their refusal to believe will be used as a testimony against them on judgment day. They will come to judgment without an excuse. Christ said the people of Capernaum would suffer greater agony in hell than those of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because the people of Capernaum had more light and they refused a greater witness of the truth. When you carry the gospel, you're doing one of two things. You're delivering life to those to whom you witness or you're condemning those who don't listen. Which is not your worry. Don't be concerned. Your job was to carry the message. You can't beat someone over the head with the Bible to make them believe. You preach the truth and let God's Holy Spirit take it and work in their hearts with it. Once a person hears the gospel and believes it with his whole heart, Paul says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are marked, marked as belonging to Jesus Christ. Not just belonging to him, but being in him. You are marked as a seal. 
with a seal. In Paul's day, something marked with a seal was not just stamped on the outside, but the seal was embedded into it and became an unremovable mark. In Esther 3.12, we're told of the seal of the king being used to authenticate his decree. It was made a part of the paper upon which the decree was written. In 1 Corinthians 9.2, Paul says, those who heard his message and believed in Christ were the seal of his apostleship. They were his work. In the Song of Solomon, we hear these words, set me as a seal upon your heart. In this love book of the scriptures, we see love used as a seal of the heart. The one loved is placed in the heart and becomes a part of the other. A seal is also a sign of protection by one authority as it was used by the Romans to seal the tomb of Christ. You can also see it in Revelation when it speaks of the Lord's scroll. This promise of the Holy Spirit works in the heart as Romans 8.16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He comes into your heart. He comes into your heart and becomes a part of verifying you as God's. He shows you're owned by God. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. This seal guarantees eternal protection. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This seal testifies. It testifies of the authentication of your election. Assurance. It assures assurance to whom you belong and guarantees your protection. The Holy Spirit was the one promised by Christ to his followers. He is sent to build you up as a holy and blameless saint. He is charged with your keeping. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit will never be let go. That is a wonderful promise. I guarantee you without that seal, I I had no hope at all. Sometimes I wonder even with the seal. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. But we need to understand we can trust Christ. He has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived that perfect life, died the atoning death, won the resurrection victory, and he promises whoever believes and trusts in him and in him alone shall be saved. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit will never be let go. They are marked as one of God's treasured possessions. No matter how bad things seem to be on the outside, no matter how desperate things seem to get on the inside, there will always be a reason for hope. You are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit of promise. He has become a part of you. You can't wash him off. You can't remove this mark, for it is indelible. This is the first installment of all that God has promised to give his people. The covenant was made with God's people that he would be their God and they would be his people. This seal of the promised Holy Spirit guarantees that covenant by placing within you the very Spirit of God. You will have in you for the rest of your life on this earth a part of God himself. He will be working in you each day, molding you more and more 
into the image of the perfect son. When you receive the first blessings of salvation and the Holy Spirit is continuing to make those blessings active in your life, in verse 14, Paul addresses the future blessings you will receive. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, when you go out and buy a house, you go look at a number of houses. You decide which one you like the best. What do you do? You put down a surety payment to show that you're serious about buying that house. God put down a surety payment on you to show he is serious. He gave you the promised Holy Spirit. You are his and he is yours. He is your God and you're his people. This ensures you will partake of the full inheritance and you will receive the mansion being prepared for you in heaven by Christ. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the wonderful blessings to come. The purpose of all of this never lies in man but in God. Paul says this belongs to those who are God's possession. When you receive the full inheritance promised, you will have a resurrected body. You will have full and complete redemption as God's own possession. You will experience the full release of all that is his and was purchased with Christ's blood as his possession. You will be fully released from all effects of sin, and it will never again be able to control you. I don't know about you, that makes me jump up now. I want to get rid of that sin. You will also be the complete work of the Holy Spirit and will be exalted, as Paul says, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit's working in you to bring you to Christ to bring you to God. You are not self-made. You are the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Everything you were and are and will become is because of his hand at work in you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that though your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Believers do not belong to themselves. They belong to God. 1 Corinthians 3.23 declares, And you are Christ. Romans 14.8 affirms, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In conclusion, Let me restate the purpose of God in election. It is to have a people unto himself. He has chosen and pre-planned how this would all work out. If you're one who has received this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit and are assured of God's love on your life, then you have a great responsibility before you. You must, through your life, show to him the love and honor that is due a sovereign God. Listen to his word. Obey it but there's no other way to honor him. This is why you were created to bring glory to the one who created you. This is where freedom and joy join hand in hand. When you understand you are God's own possession, just as Adam and Eve were in the garden, you were elected by his grace. You were elected to serve him. 
So serve him with all of your heart. Let your life be a testimony, a testimony of his grace and mercy. But that's the purpose. That's the purpose for everyone who is elect. Let us pray. Father, you have told us that we have not because we ask not. When we do ask, we ask for the wrong reason because we want to consume it on our own lust. Only by your grace can we come with a right heart to ask of you anything. We know, O Lord, you oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. Help us submit to you. Help us to resist evil and come near to you because you promise to come near to all who humble themselves in your presence. Grant that we might wash our hands and purify our hearts, that you might lift us up, that we might be strengthened and encouraged in our faith. We ask these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.